0: Welcome to The Living Word. I'm Dave Dino, and today we're visiting with Pastor John Carter. Pastor, I always enjoy our visits because you always have something very special to share with us that helps us in our Christian walk.
1: I'm glad today, Dave, to be here
0: with you. I enjoy talking to you. We are going to, in a sense, put you in the lion's den today because this is a personal visit with Pastor John Carter. We're going to get to know the man behind the television screen, You always have, as I've indicated, something very special to share with us. I want our listeners and our viewers to know what it is that makes up this man that they watch, that they listen to, that comes to them on a a daily or a weekly basis, wherever they happen to watch the program. I'd like to begin by going back to that Lion's Den illusion, and that is this. Have you yourself, in your role as a pastor, ever been put into a place of danger?
1: We were in the Philippines a number of years ago. We were conducting a large evangelistic campaign in the city of Manila. Mm. and we had all sorts of people coming politicians and sailors and soldiers, and we had the, uh, the son of the president of the nation coming to the meetings. We had wonderful meetings, and about halfway through, we were invited to go out out of the city of Manila and visit a high-security prison. This was unusual, to say the least, because we came to these massive doors, and sitting at these doors were armed guards. They were armed with with shotguns. And we thought, well, we'll be okay, because these guards are going to go inside the prison with us. But they opened up these old rusty doors. It's like something out of an old horror movie. (laughs) So they opened up these old rusty doors. And Beverly and I and a few of our our friends— with some wonderful Filipino Christians were pushed inside the prison. And the next thing we heard, clunk, clunk, and the doors closed behind us. We were in there by ourselves. Oh. The guards stayed out. They were the smart ones. <laughs> <laughs> and we were led through this prison where people are armed. The place is filled with terrorists, murderers, rapists, men who carry knives actually carrying knives in the prison in the prison they took us to a little chapel this was not death row but they took us to a little chapel and they showed us a spot on the floor where a few days before a believer had been stabbed to death oh. because he had accepted Christ as his savior could oh you believe goodness. this in this little prison this little church mm-hmm. and then they took us to death row now i'd never been to death row before this was this was a revelation to me, because the place, of course, was filled surrounded by bars, and we went inside there and Then I was asked to preach to the prisoners, I preached to a group of prisoners, eight of whom were going to be put to death because they were terrorists and As I preached, the place filled up with terrorists and murderers, and I preached on the from the Word of God, and I told them that Jesus had come down from heaven and gone to the electric chair on their behalf. They knew what I was talking about. He had borne the penalty of the law. And Then we made an appeal, and we took eight of those prisoners with whom our church members had been studying the Word of God. So this was not something just a thing of the moment, not Mm -hmm. just an emotional Mm -hmm. stirring, Mm -hmm. but this had gone on for a long, long period of time. And We took those eight young men into the next room. There was a filthy, tub of water, filthy water. We got into that water and we baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as they came up, each one of those young men, I took hold of him, held him, and I said, why are you here? For murder. And what's going to happen? I'm going to be executed. And we just held on to those young men. We have never seen them again. They have been put to death. But they died with their faith in God, and so God took us right into the lion's den there. In the lion's den, we were able to pluck some young souls out of perdition so that they might be saved. You mentioned Africa. Yes. What have you come
0: across in Africa? Where have you gone in Africa where you would say that the surroundings were not
1: necessarily uh, congenial, safe? Congenial. <laughs> congenial. For I like gentlemen. That. Yes. <laughs> uh, Africa is a marvelous place, Dave. When God gave out the gifts to all the animals, Africa was first up in line. It starts mm. with A, I guess. Oh. And uh, they got zebras or zebras. and so A giraffes to Z, Africa and, zebra yes, in the Hebrew, right? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and they got all the animals, hippos, and not tigers, but they got lions mm. and leopards and elephants. And I've been out there in the wilds. So I've gone on safari and I've been able to touch the lines as I've run beside the Jeep. And, wow. you know, it's, it's a marvelous place. Uh, looking for a hippo once, uh, the, the, the guide, not the guard, but the guide said, There are hippos around, not, not hippos, there are rhinos around here. And if you're very quiet, you may see a big rhino. And I said, Well, we've looked everywhere and we can't see any rhino around here. And as we were standing there talking, A huge rhino, you know, those things weigh a couple of tons, stepped out of the bushes and stood right in front of us, about as close as you and I are together, looked at us and moved his funny little ears. (laughs) But he wasn't worried about us. We may have been worried about him, but that wasn't really the lion's den. That was just a, that was the rhino den. That was having a bit of fun. But I can remember we were running these meetings in a Rari, Zimbabwe. Sounds good, doesn't it? Mm -hmm, It does. Mm -hmm. Salisbury, Rhodesia. When the British were there, they called Mm -hmm. it Salisbury after the Salisbury back back in England. Mm -hmm. Rhodesia after Cecil Rhodes. But today it is called Harare, Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. Sounds great. Beautiful, beautiful town. And we had thousands of people coming to the meetings. Thousands of people coming. In fact, when we opened on biblical archaeology that gives people evidence why they can believe in the Bible not just faith in faith, but faith in evidence that you can see and that you can feel with your own hands. We had traffic jams all around the Harare International Conference Center for miles down the road. The motor cars were was stopped. Mm. It was like the um, 405 freeway here in Los Angeles on a Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we had thousands of people coming. One day, I was invited to go out to a television station and uh, give a talk. Now, I believe that when we go to a foreign country, we are there to preach the gospel, not to become involved in sectarian disputes. I believe we're there to magnify Christ and to lift up the word of God and to endeavor by the grace of God to be a unifying factor. Mm -hmm. But when I got out there, I had been set up They wanted me to go on a sensational television program and tear down a great church, Uh. a great church over there in Africa. And I said to the producer, look, uh, I'm sorry, but you're talking to the wrong guy. I'm not going on any television program to tear down another church. We're not not here in Africa to tear down. We're here to build up the kingdom of God. And this man was an ex-terrorist himself. He became so mad with me that he took me outside, out of the television station, outside of the studio, and he got some soldiers, and they marched me down this this bush track. I can remember it as though it were yesterday with the guns at my back. And I was marching down this bush track in Africa, and the sun was going down, and he was driving a, a French Peugeot car, driving beside me, and cursing me as I went down the road, cursing me, saying, we're going to get rid of you. And as I marched down the road, we came to lots of bushes, and the car could go no further. So he turned around and went back. And when he was out of sight, the soldiers erupted. I thought, what on earth is happening? Had these these submachine guns. They put down their guns, and they rushed to me and grabbed all of me and hugged me. (laughs) And they said, Pastor Carter, we love you. We come to your meetings. (laughs) And we apologize that you're being treated this way. Except for the grace of God and the influence of the Christian gospel, I would have been killed that day.
0: I wonder if the lions in the den snuggled up to Daniel when they rolled the stone over it.
1: Well, I think God, the Bible says, he closed up their mouths, that's mm, for sure. Yeah. They took us a little further down the road, got on the telephone, and told the government what was happening, and the government sent out a motor car. Uh, the army sent out a car and rushed me to the meeting, and when I was due to get on the, the platform, I was there. God protected my life on that occasion. In Gorky.
0: Yes. In Russia.
1: Yes. You
0: were leading some meetings, and yes. there was something where a smoke bomb erupted or something smoke of that bombs.
1: sort? Smoke of? bombs. Yes. Yes. Back in 92. What meetings? I, I can visualize them. I can mm-hmm. see them, Dave. There were so many people around the Palace of Sport, a large auditorium that seated eight or 9,000 people that nobody, we couldn't get to, the, get to the meetings ourselves. I was to take the meetings, I couldn't get there. And so the army heard about my predicament, and the army took me there in a personnel carrier. And so the army came there, and they got out our Alsatian dogs, and they cleared away, and uh, the KGB came. Now, when the KGB came to religious meetings in Russia, they came to break up the meetings and to break up the people. Right. But they came now to act as ushers no <laughs> yes came to act as ushers and there we were on the first night wall-to-wall people outside people by the thousands in fact there were so many people and they were so frustrated they started to break down a portion of the building and come underground they could get down some stairs mm-hmm. and break through and come under the building and try to get up inside oh. Oh. all of the doors were broken All of these big glass doors in this Russian building, they came to me and they said, all the doors are broken. I said, hallelujah, praise the Lord. (laughs) God is working here. He's breaking down the doors. They said, you'll have to pay for them. I said, hallelujah. That's a small price to pay for victory over the power of communism. But then as we started the meeting, just as I was about to go on the stage, some hooligans sent by the state church, not by the communists, now Not by minute. the atheists by the state by church. the state the state church, the church that is the official religion in Russia, sent down hooligans and they threw bombs smoke bombs up on the stage oh. and the place started to fill with smoke and when you 've got ten thousand people packed into a big room and twenty thousand or thirty thousand or fifty thousand outside, you can have a catastrophe mm-hmm. on your hands. Mm-hmm. But the Christian believers rushed with buckets of water and pulled off their suit coats and their uh, overcoats, and they threw them over the smoke bombs, and I was ushered somewhat unceremoniously onto the stage and spoke to the people on why I believe in God. I gave them evidence from the Word of God that there is a God in heaven, that archaeology demonstrates the reliability of the Bible. And we saw in the campaign in Nizdi or the old city of Gorky, we saw Tens of thousands of people run down the front to give their lives to God. And thousands of people baptized in the Volga River, the largest baptism in, in a thousand years in Russian history. And Dave, I want to tell the people today, there are places in Russia where we can do it again. Mm. The hunger has not died out. Those people over there, because of atheism and socialism and liberalism and communism have become destitute in their souls. Saint Augustine said, our souls were made for God, and they cannot rest until they rest in Him. And those people have got a hollow in them. We need to fill it with the gospel.
0: There was a man who came to a meeting of yours in Irkutsk. Sometimes I had more than one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) With a gun. With a gun. I've had them come with guns in the Philippines. I've had them come with knives in the Philippines. I had in the Philippines a man send me up a letter. He said, Dear Pastor Carter, tonight I've been at your meeting. I've been following a man here whom I plan to kill in the meeting. He's an enemy. I've been following him all day with this knife. But as you were talking from God's word, he said something spoke to my heart. That man gave his life to Christ and was baptized. And so we don't need to worry about knives or guns. We need to worry that we're in a right relationship with God. But getting back to Erkutsk in Siberia, where I was a few months ago preaching out of doors. But there one night I was just getting ready to preach. I'd come up the front, standing there with my translator. And then a man came rushing from the, from the seats, rushing forward, and he lunged at me. Now there were police there, and there were guards, and the guards got on top of him. He tried to get to me, but they couldn't get him down because this man was built like a Russian wrestler, mm. a strong guy. If he'd ever got to me, he would have just gone, clunk. You know, that would have been the end of me. It wouldn't have been hard to break me into. But he, they got him, and they wrestled. They couldn't get him down. But in the end, it doesn't got on top of him, and by force of weight, they got him down. Mm-hmm. When they got him down, they carried him outside, kicking and screaming and shouting, and bless your heart, he was a member of the Russian uh, security ah. agency. He was one of their elite. He, he was one of the guys they sent out to get rid of terrorists, mm-hmm. but he was drunk. You see, there's so much drunkenness over there, so much despair. People are so depressed, they say, what are we going to do? Um, our little world has fallen apart. Our little God, whose name was Lenin or Karl Marx or somebody, he, he's been shown up to be a fraud. Mm-hmm. And so here are people who are frustrated and destitute and lonely and angry. And so he goes and gets drunk. And this foreigner from America comes from Australia. He comes and he preaches in our coots, and thousands of people are coming, and so he wanted to come after me with a gun. Mm-hmm. but. Can I tell you the sequel? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Well, we we contacted the Russian government, they contacted us, and they came to the hotel, and the head of the security, the Russian security, came and saw me. And They said, Now, we're embarrassed. I said, I'm glad you are, because I could have been killed. They said, We're embarrassed, and we apologize. I said, Look, it's fine. They said, We're in a very difficult period in the history of Russia. There's so much lawlessness here. So much lawlessness, so much crime. And this young man, he, he got very depressed and he went and got drunk. And I don't think, well, we don't believe he was going to hurt you. He just did something dumb. But we're going to strip him of his, of his job and we're going to put him in jail. Now if a person goes into jail in Russia, that's a, that's a calamity. He can be there for a year before he gets a trial. Wow. And more than two-thirds of the inmates in Russian jails have got TB. The Russian jails are filled with prisoners, many of them innocent, who are dying of tuberculosis. and they're, they're not being given any help at all. No doctors, no medicines. And I said to his superior, his boss, I'm a believer. What does that mean? I believe in the Bible. I believe in the Creator God. I believe in Christ. And I want you to go tell him that I forgive him. He's forgiven. And if I forgive him, why can't you forgive him? They said, you will forgive him? You don't want us to put him in jail? I said, no, don't put him in jail. He's a young man. He's got his life ahead of him. He'll die of tuberculosis. Go and tell him that this Christian... Forgives him, fully and freely. They said, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So they went and they said, John Carter forgives you and he orders us to forgive you too. And we forgive you too. He said, you forgive me. Yes. Well, he said, I have one request. What is it? You've caused enough trouble. <laughs> Let me be John Carter's bodyguard be his bodyguard." (laughs) And so the next night, just as I get up to preach, here comes this this guy in all his uniform, you know, dressed as a high security Mm -hmm. officer Mm -hmm. with his black beret and with his, you know, he looks as though he's got a huge swelling in his chest because he's loaded out with guns. Mm -hmm. And he comes down and he listens to the word of God. And when I make an appeal tonight, he raises his hand to accept Jesus. So God can go into these dens of lions and He can pull the teeth out of the lions' mouths. He can,
0: Mm -hmm. and you have certainly had your share of being in the lions' (laughs) den. Now, now John, you are a well-spoken man. You are an extremely intelligent man. You're an archaeologist. Boy, you're kind to me today, Dave. (laughs) You could have gone into any line of work. You could be a motivational speaker. You don't have to go into lion's dens to be a motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose to
1: become an evangelist? Oh, it's easy because we should have a correct hierarchy of values. Jesus said, and He was the greatest of all teachers. We believe He was the Son of God. Mm -hmm. Jesus, the infallible Son of God, said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well the most important thing in the world is not my check account it is not the amount of money i've got in the bank the most it, it is not the size of my home it is not my personal wealth it's not the money in the world it's not how many stocks and shares i have from wall street the most important thing in the universe is a human being mm. i believe that man is distinct and glorious i believe that you and I are sons of God. I believe in a great Creator God who made us in His own image. I do not believe in the atheistic idea that man is the product of time, plus matter, plus Mm. chance. But I believe that we were made by God, and God has a tremendous plan for every human being. I also believe in the Bible teaching that man is lost. Man is alienated from God, alienated from other people, and alienated from himself. And I believe in the old text of the Bible that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I believe, Dave, that people come to this knowledge of a new life and their lives are transformed by the power of God through accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I do not believe that we are born saved. I do not believe that we are saved because we're simply so-called good people. I don't believe we're, we're saved because we join some church. I believe that we become saved and our lives are transformed when we come into our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is the work of evangelism. I believe that evangelism is the most important work in all the world because it is a work that deals with the most important things. I don't like to use the word things. The most important people. People are the most important. And also, this work lasts for all eternity. That's why. Well, lest we get
0: a little bit ahead of ourselves, let's go back. And I would be interested in having you give us
1: your definition of evangelism. Evangelism, Dave, is not simply proselytizing for one church. It's not getting people just to change going from one church to another church. It's far more than that. Evangelism comes from the Greek word gospel. and Gospel means good news. An evangelist is a person who has good news. He's not a person just full of doom and gloom. He's not just a person who says, you've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you've got to do something else. It's not the religion of do, 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 (laughs) cock-a-doodle-do. It's a religion that says, God has done something for you. And if you truly believe in Christ, Christ will give you everlasting life. And this everlasting life starts now. And the power of God will come into you, and you'll be transformed, and you'll be a new person. And I have seen the power of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And this gospel works here in the United States of America. It works in my homeland of Australia. It works for the Canadians. It works for the Jamaicans. It works for the Africans. It works for the Cubans. been over there preaching recently. And it works for the Russians. And it works for the Ukrainians. It works wherever man needs God, and that's everywhere. We've titled today's program, In the Lion's Den. Yes.
0: And when we began the program, we asked the question, what is it that brings a man to God, keeps a man true to God, keeps a man true to the Word of God? Let's go back into the life of John Carter. Let's go back into your early life. I have heard stories of youngsters who knew from a very early age that they wanted to be pastors, preachers, evangelists. When was it and how was it? that you decided to follow a call into
1: evangelism. Dave, my mother, who is now 92, going strong, great lady, my folks over there in Australia said, shall we get Meals on Wheels for you? She said, of course not, that's for old folks. (laughs) She said, I don't want Meals on Wheels. She said, when I'm old, I'll have Meals on Wheels. But while I can go shopping, she doesn't drive a car, Mm -hmm. but she walks miles and goes Mm -hmm. shopping and she brings home her string baskets loaded with food and she's a great cook. My mother was a member of the Church of England, like many people in Australia, and she married a Roman Catholic, Mm. James Timothy Carter, Mm. and his grandfather's name was Timothy Tui, who came from Southern Ireland. And so I was brought up with a little bit of Roman Catholicism and a little bit of the Church of England. And when I was a little boy, my mother had me dedicated to God. This is what she told me later. When she had me dedicated to God, she said, I had a strong feeling, though my mother was not going to any church. She was not a church goer but mm-hmm. she had God in her heart. She said, I believed that God was going to make you a preacher of the gospel. I oh. never knew that for years. And when I was about 15 or 16 years of age, I left home, haven't been back home since then except for a visit, traveled into the heartland of Australia, up into the northern part of Australia, into the tropics because everything there is different to here. Mm-hmm. You see the north mm-hmm. it's the tropics there. That's mm-hmm. where the crocodiles are and the big water buffalo. And I worked there driving a bulldozer but I was not driving a bulldozer simply because I liked moving things, though I do like moving things. I was driving a bulldozer to earn money to go to Avondale College to study to become a minister and to become an evangelist Hmm. because in my heart I had a conviction that God had called me to be a preacher of the gospel.
0: Hmm.
1: It was just there. Still
0: there. What was it that actually brought you to Christ? I mean, it's not, it's not as some Americans believe something you're born into. No, you do not born My into family it. goes to church, therefore I yeah. am automatically a Christian because
1: I go to church but, with them. But God's there is got a point no grandchildren, where you has He? No, He does God not doesn't have doesn't have any grandchildren. There's a point where you decide. <laughs> Dave, I was 16 when I went to this great college, Avondale College, north of Sydney, where, where they had the Olympic Games. And when I was there... I felt in my heart a hunger and a loneliness that is common to every human being. As a teenager I felt ever so lonely. I was looking and trying to find things. I sympathize with many young people today. We see them doing crazy things. I think the reason they're doing those crazy things is because they're reaching out and they're searching. And I was reaching out and I was searching. I think today the words of the great Catholic theologian Saint Augustine or Saint Augustine who said our souls were made for God and they cannot rest until they rest in Him. I was that boy. Mm. And then one day I was in the Avondale Chapel, that wonderful old place that was built by American pioneers who came out to Australia in the 1890s and founded Avondale College. And a man came whose name was Ron Vince, and one night he spoke on the God-filled blank. Uh. He said, inside every one of you, there is a blank. And then Dr. Billy Graham came to Sydney, Australia, and in the Sydney cricket ground, you know what cricket is, don't you? Yeah. You, know, you have a bat and a ball. It's an imitation ball. of baseball, isn't it? Oh, Dave, I won't enter into controversy with you on that subject. I seem to think it's a little superior, but I you see. know, I'll give you a baseball, it's okay. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later, off camera. Then Billy Graham said this, he said, you're sitting out there in this audience, a couple of hundred thousand Aussies, maybe half a million. Mm. He said, you love beaches, you love sport, you yeah. love all of these things, but in every one of you there is an emptiness. Only God can fill that. I heard him say those words, but in that Avondale Chapel, God spoke to my heart. I gave my life to Christ. My life was changed by the power of God. And as I walked around the campus for days later and for weeks later and for months later, it seemed as though the sky were bluer and the birds were singing a note higher and the grass was greener and the people were more friendly. The world was a more beautiful place because God had come into my life.
0: What happened after
1: that? You're at college.
0: Yes, and I want to find to the, for out for the ministry. I want, well, I want to find out what brought you to America, but I want to find out before coming to America, what was the sequence of events between that moment of conversion <laughs> and the time you came here to the USA?
1: Oh, Dave, there was a lot of water flowing under the bridge of my life. Mm. In 1961 I graduated. Uh, with a degree in theology. Mm-hmm. 1962, I married a very wonderful, wonderful young lady whose name was Beverly Buchanan. Prettiest lady. Here. Uh-huh. 1962. We have three wonderful children, great, great kids. We're proud of every one of them. I became a pastor and I pastored in little country towns, hungry little towns. In Australia, they have this saying, God made the country, man made the cities, and the devil made the small country towns. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're tough little places, parochial little places, narrow-minded little places. Mm. I worked in those places, as we say, for donkey's years. I would Uh. pastor a church. I'd run an evangelistic series of meetings. Then as time went by, I went to the big cities, ran a big campaign in the Dallas Brooks in the great city of Melbourne, and then a year or two later, I ran a big campaign in the Sydney Opera House that saw the largest crowds in the history of the Sydney Opera House. Now, wait a minute. We're
0: familiar with the Sydney Opera House. Of course. Of We've course. seen that during yes. all of the Olympic coverage. Yes,
1: NBC every night. We've seen it all over the place, every night. Ad nauseum. And <laughs> you ran meetings in the Sydney yes, Opera House? Yes, in the House. great concert theater. Wow. and we opened there with six sessions with 20 no was it eight sessions i don't know open on a weekend on amazing discoveries in in lost cities of the dead speaking on the wonders of of the ancient pharaohs and the bible prophecies hmm. and evidence why a thinking person can believe in god we had 24,000 people and then we had the place packed for 5 months Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people lining up, queuing up, coming to the Sydney Opera House, not for a rock concert, but to hear evidence from the Bible that there's a God and that this God wants to come into your life and He wants to take over your life and He wants to make you into a new person. Wow. Paul said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is. And out, I was given out in one of the back, the Sydney Opera House has got a thousand rooms. And out in the back there, looking over the beautiful Sydney Harbour, now I'm getting so nostalgic. <laughs> and I think of Sydney Harbour, where I used to live, not in the harbour, but beside the harbour. As I would look out the window, there was a great big whiteboard. And on the whiteboard, there were all those people who had been in that room and who had taken meetings. There was Dame Sutherland, you know, Joan Sutherland, a oh. great singer. And there were the names of other great singers and great speakers. And I had the privilege to go up there and to write up my name and put there, I came here to preach the gospel. Uh. may still be written there, came here to the Sydney Opera House to preach the gospel.
0: Well, now, John, in human terms, one would Mm. say that at that point you were very much a success. Why did you come (laughs) to the USA? Why did you leave that behind and come here to America?
1: Number one, I think this is a land of tremendous opportunity. Australia is a land of marvelous opportunity, but mm-hmm. it's, it's much smaller, the mm-hmm. total number, well, not, not in size. Mm-hmm. Australia is a large, empty continent. The continent is as big as the United States of America, if you leave off Alaska, mm-hmm. two and a half thousand miles across. Wow. Two and a half thousand miles from north to south. It's it's further from north to south than America is from Canada down Mm -hmm. to Mexico. Mm -hmm. So it's a big land. But it only has 19 million people. And I had been right up and down the east coast, I had been to the principal cities, and I felt that God was calling me to the United States of America to do a special work. And so we came here in 1986. To this wonderful land of, of a million dreams. Hmm. Does that sound good to you? You know, I'm asking you now, as an American now, does that sound good to you? A land of
0: a million dreams kind mm? of makes me feel good about
1: my country. Uh-huh, okay. I like that. <laughs>
0: and the reason why I pause and the reason why that catches my fancy is because. That whole sentiment is a sentiment that really was involved all the way back to the very founding of our nation. And the founding of our nation was based on a seeking of religious liberty. Yes. Being able to exercise our faith freely. Yes. And when I hear you echo those words, it stops me in my tracks. It makes me remember how very special this is to
1: our heritage here in America. And so we thank God for America because it has a Christian heritage. Mm -hmm. That is why this nation is a bastion of freedom. Mm -hmm. What a contrast to Russia with its atheism, humanism, secularism, Mm -hmm. all of these terrible liberalisms. But can I clarify something, and I'm just going to put this in because it just flashes into my mind now. Many people have got the concept that Australia was, was simply a penal settlement and it's an atheistic country. Mm-hmm. That's not so. Almost everybody in Australia believes in God and has a healthy respect for God. Hmm. Even Crocodile Dundee in his movie said, God and me are mates. and So Australians have a, have a respect for God and they have a belief in the Bible and they have a great respect for the Christian church and its institutions. And so Americans and Australians have many, many, many things in common. People were sent out to Australia, many of them to Sydney, as criminals. But who was a criminal there why bless your heart today we wouldn't put them in prison we'd probably give them a medal Mm. because they stole a loaf of bread to, to feed a starving family in in old london here was a man whose family was starving and he he went past a store and he took a loaf of bread of course he shouldn't have done it but he was starving and the kids were starving so they sent him off to australia which was the best thing england could have done because he gave him a wonderful chance to become a new person but dave we and americans have a sacred bond we fought in all the wars together Mm -hmm. the first world war the second world war the korean war the vietnam war Mm. the, the gulf war we've been there together and I feel very much at home in this wonderful land, and since we have been here, God has blessed us marvelously. You have alluded a little bit earlier, you have alluded to your family, your wonderful wife and yes. your
0: three children, yes. uh, who have been raised here in this country. Tell us about your family. Well,
1: they were raised in, a, in Australia, so they consider themselves to be ah. dinky-dye Aussies, ah. and my daughter, who is an intensive care nurse, Julie in San Francisco, says to me, Dad, do I still, still still sound like an Australian? Or am I starting to sound like an American? She said, I've got a taped recorder of myself when I was an Australian, when I was in Australia, so I don't forget what I sound like. And I say, Julie, you don't need to fear, my love. You sound very much like a dinky dye, true blue, fair dinkum Australian. So I have three great kids and they're working here in the States. David is my television producer. Mm -hmm. Now, he's producing this television program right now. Mm. David is worth his weight in gold. Mm -hmm. He's the salt of the earth, he's dedicated, he's intense, he's passionate in his work. I have another daughter, Leanne, who is a psychologist. And then we have Julie, our youngest, who is an intensive care nurse. And I have a great wife whose name is Beverly Lynette.
0: One would trace your life. Mm the path of your life across the globe and would scratch their head in wonder because here we have a man who goes from Australia up to America Mm -hmm. but all of a sudden further to Russia and the Ukraine. Why Russia and the Ukraine?
1: Because, Because of God. Here we have a nation that has been locked in the darkness of atheism, communism, brutality. A nation whose people have been oppressed and persecuted more than any other people on the face of the earth, bar none. Mm. This is hard to understand. What brutality? It was worse than the Holocaust. Hitler persecuted his own people, murdered, or rather murdered other people. he didn't do so much to his own German people. But here we have a nation that was ruled by evil monsters who persecuted their own people, mm. the Russian people, the They're Ukrainian right. people. And here are a people from whom the light, as the old hymn says, from whom the light of light has been denied. And all of a sudden, the doors open wide, and they say, come over and help us. Russia is strategically important. It is still a superpower. It still, if it turns, if it goes the wrong way, could destroy the United States of America. If we want to save America, we need to start to save Russia. Because the future of the world is tied up with Russia. The future of the world is tied up with Russia. If Russia can experience a spiritual revolution, that's what Gorbachev said back in 1990. Hardly anybody listened to him. Mm. He said in 1990, and he was then a communist, leader of the Communist mm-hmm. Party, he said, We need a spiritual revolution. Not many people listened to him. They were too dumb to listen to Gorbachev. I was about the first foreigner as a minister on Russian television, asked to speak on uh, Good Evening Moscow. I spoke mm-hmm. to every person, all the people across the ex Soviet Union, from the main television station in Moscow. And the first thing the interviewer said to me was, Pastor Carter, How can we find God? Gorbachev was saying we need a spiritual revolution. Mm. That nation still needs a spiritual revolution, but the tragedy is, and this is what some church leaders, who are uncomfortable with facts, don't like to hear, we have largely, as a Christian community, become introverted, and we've turned our backs on Russia Mm. and the Russian people. It is strategically of tremendous importance. It is of great political significance but over there you've got 290 million people more than here in these great united states 290 million people and i can tell you right now at least 95 percent of them are spiritually illiterate and bankrupt and lost what about the hunger for christ in russia today dave the greatest hunger i saw was in 1990 1991, I'm sorry. If I said 90 before, I should have said 91. That was the year when uh, the tanks came around the White House. You know, oh, I was I there about that, yes. that time. When I got to Moscow for those first meetings, we spent very little on advertising. We didn't know what to do. We were sort of like guinea pigs sent by the church to see mm. what's going to happen. And if these folks survive, we may send some others who are. Uh, who may do more to our liking. But we were sent over there, and people would not go home. I started preaching at 10 in the morning and would preach to 11 o'clock at night. Wow. With a pause every hour for a drink of water, and then every five or six hours for something to eat. Politicians, statesmen, professors, tell me, how can I find God? I'd never seen hunger like it. Now, the church did do something in 91 and in 92, but since then the church has been beating the retreat. And the church has been saying, hey, we've done everything we can do, and they don't need us anymore. That is simply not true. That is a falsehood. There is a desperate need over there, a desperate need over there. And I'm crying out all the time for a spiritual revival in this country that people will change their thinking and say, if we're going to do anything here to save this country, uplift this country we better try to help the russians because by saving them we're going to save ourselves in a sense that we're going to restore those great traditional biblical judeo christian values and when i've gone back each time for instance when i was in kiev and now that's a few years back 95 we had the largest crowds in the history of the soviet union Mm. we had a huge auditorium, but 100,000 people outside wow. trying to get in. The government closed down the railway stations, closed down the buses to stop the people coming. They said, this is, this is unheard of. Our politicians don't get anyone. And here this guy comes from down under, now, now on top, and he's talking about biblical archaeology and talking about Bible prophecy, and the people are, are, are rioting to hear these things. Then I ran a series of meetings last year in Yakutsch. I've been back every year. I've been there 20 times, as you know. Last year I had 18,000 people sometimes standing in the rain, mainly young people. I was preaching last year in Yakutsch this Bible I've got, Dave, and uh, the people weren't bound to see this, but my Bible there, you can see, can you see the watermarks? I can see that. Can you see the watermarks? In the rain. Yeah, I'm preaching out in Siberia. Now, they they probably can't see that on a camera, but if they look at my Bible, it looks as though it's got smallpox. It's got all these marks on it. Because I'd be preaching out there in the rain, and sometimes it would be thundering, and the lightning would be flashing, and I'd be out there with my team. I had a canopy over me, but the Russians were getting wet through, so I left the canopy, and I said, I will, I want, will you stay if I stay out in the rain? And so thousands stayed with open Bibles to hear the word of God. Now, church leaders in this country need to wake up to themselves and realize that we haven't started even just after we've had a committee meeting. How many monuments do you see in cities to, comi- to committees? Mm. If you go to Russia, how many monuments do you find uh, there? A committee did this great work. Now, you don't find that. How many committees flew across the Atlantic in an airplane? How many committees have done anything that have made a great, significant impact? Now, committees often get in the way of the work of God, and after they've got in the way of the work of God, they think they've done the work of God. But Dave, am I getting close to the truth? Yes. Well, you're preaching. I like yeah, it. Yeah, well, I'm telling you some things that are on my heart. And my supporters believe this. That's why they support me, because they know I'll tell them the truth. Mm but church leaders need to say we're going to stop all the palaver and all the hooey, as my old Irish father Mm. used to say, and let us go forth and do what Jesus said, and do what Jesus did, win the loss to Christ. Let us do it in America, but let us also do it in Russia and Ukraine and Cuba, wherever people are saved. The world is not going to be saved by smart, smooth-talking, lying politicians. It's going to be saved by Christians who believe in the gospel, commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel.
0: John, you lead that call from your new world headquarters in Arcadia. Mm, which we're trying to pay for. Well, and new, and I, I just kind of would <laughs> like to know a little bit more about that. Bring us up to date on the new headquarters. How was well, it that you came to have it?
1: Um, how did you get it? Well, we're getting it. Dave, if we didn't find our own place, we were going to be put out of business, if Mm. you can say those words. We're not an extravagant ministry. Mm. Everything we get goes into preaching and teaching. Nobody gets a big salary. Uh, This ministry doesn't pay me any salary at all. Uh, I get paid as an ordained pastor by my church, Mm -hmm. so the Carter Report ministry, which is separate, doesn't pay me at all. Uh, our people work for sacrificial wages but they do so because they have a mission they have a vision and this place came on the market and we believed in the providence of god he wanted us to get it we were able to raise enough money to put down a deposit and uh, we've moved in and uh, we're building a place where people can come and worship and where people can bring their friends and where, most importantly, we can produce good radio and television programs for families and especially for the people of Russia, Siberia, Ukraine, those communist countries. And we've got our eye also on China and Cuba. John, what are your plans and your hopes for the future? Well, Dave, my first hope and my first plan is to pay next Months mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an important detail. <laughs> well, I tell you, I gotta do it. Yes. Uh, people say to me, we well, shouldn't get into debt. Well, if we didn't get into debt, we wouldn't do a single thing. Mm. And I've, you know, Americans are not usually the sort of people who tell you to stay out of debt, are they? No. But if they want job. us to get out of debt, they know what they can do about it. They can, you know, participate. They know. Yeah, they know what they can do. But our long-range plans are to do more evangelistic work to turn this into a place where people can come in this part of the world and bring their friends and hear the true gospel of Christ, Mm -hmm. hear evidence for the Word of God, where their lives can be challenged and changed by the power of God. We could become very self-satisfied, and we could settle down, and we could say, oh, isn't this pretty? We like the stained-glass windows, and hallelujah, we've even got a pipe organ. Who cares? Those things are, are not worth a great deal the most important thing we can do is to take the gospel to people who don't know Christ and we want to expand our work in Russia and Ukraine the ex-Soviet Union we have a big campaign planned for next year in the city of Dnipropetrovsk. we're going to take a team of Americans and people want to come with me they need to write to me and say I want to be on your team that's going to take place I think in I think it's April and in May of next year for four weeks And Nipropetrovsk is a great big city. It's where they make rockets. But the people there are hungry for God. We've hired an auditorium that seats 10,000. And so our aim is preach, preach, teach, uphold the Word of God, and lead people to Christ. As a preacher of the gospel, as an evangelist,
0: we began by calling this program In the Lion's Den. Yes. And in one way or another, That is where you are placed in bringing out the message of the gospel. And we pose this question, what is it that keeps a man true to God and to the Word of God? And what I'd like you to do is not only answer for yourself, but I'd like you to answer for the men, for the women that are watching us today. What is going to keep them true to the Word of God and to God Himself?
1: David, it's a great question. I hope I can give it a a good answer. We are in a warfare, every one of us. Mm. As one man said, life wasn't meant to be easy. Uh, We all have strains and stresses, and some seem to have more strains and stresses than others. In this work in which we find ourselves, we find that we are continually in the midst of a great tug of war, We feel the power of good and we feel the power of evil, pulling for the mastery. There's only one thing that can keep a person true to the vision, the heavenly vision, and that is to maintain his walk with God. I say to my church members, every Sabbath, they they think I'm like an old crack record because I say this over and over, I say, read your Bible every day. If a person has a spiritual problem, if a person is filled with bad thoughts and lacks victory, it's because he doesn't read his Bible. Jesus said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want to say to the people who are watching the telecast today, if you have a spiritual problem, it's easy the solution. It's because you are not feeding on the Word of God. You need every day to dedicate a serious part of that time, quality and quantity time, to God. You say to me, but Pastor Carter, I can't understand it. Can't understand all of it. Well, you don't have to understand all of it, but you'll get enough. God will give you enough. You'll understand enough of it. A man said once to me, You know, there are things in the Bible that I don't understand, and they are the things that worry me. I said to him, there are things in the Bible that I do understand, and they're the things that worry me, Dave. We sort of have excuses, don't Mm -hmm. we? It's the things we do understand, and we can understand most of it. We need to read his word, and we need to go to church, and we need, by the grace of God, to cultivate an unselfish life. When the church becomes self-centered, then it becomes a cult. When the church says, oh, aren't we great? We are just the apple of God's eye. Look at our institutions. Look at the great people we are. And the church falls into the state of the church of Laodicea. The Bible says, you say you are rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, but you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because you don't know these things. You see, complacency in the church is the worst of sins. The only way a person can maintain his integrity is by vigilance, by watching unto prayer, by going to church by realizing his need that he's a sinner and he's always crying out to God for help and for succor and for being unselfish, Dave, and saying, I am going to not just take care of this soul and these few around me, but I'm going to reach out my hands to the world. The church ought to stand before the world and say, come in. We love you. We are not sectarian. We're not kooks. We're not weirdos. Come in because we love you and we care for you. And the church that does that is the church that is going to make a mark, and that is the church that is going to change the world. And that's what, by the grace of God, we're trying to do, very imperfectly, but that's our aim and our objective.
0: It has been said, and I think well said, that the mission of the church is to comfort the disturbed, mm mm-hmm and to disturb the comfortable. That's right. John, thank you for this very personal visit. Thank you for sharing a piece of your life with us. Dave, thank you for having me. Thank you. You've been watching The Living Word. I'm Dave Dino, and we invite you to stand with us in this ministry. You can write to us. You'll see the address on the screen at Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Thank you for watching.